0: Startuprad.io, your podcast and YouTube blog covering the German startup scene with news, interviews, and live events. Hello and welcome, everybody. This is Joe from StartupRed.io, your startup podcast and YouTube blog from Germany. Today, I do have an, a little bit unusual guest joining me from London. Hey, Kimo, how are you doing? Very good. Great to be here. Jolene, my pleasure. Everybody can tell from your name who's watching this on YouTube. Kima, how do you pronounce your family name? Soramaki.
1: Soramaki in Finnish. Yeah.
0: Soramaki. Yeah. yeah. And terribly sorry if I butchered your name. Um, you are originally from Finland. Um, you are currently in London, but we talk because you are a subject matter expert to us. And we will talk a little bit about the impacts of central bank digital currencies, especially where it, there are opportunities for fintechs out there. And I have been digging a little bit through your CV. We'll soon get to that. There are some very interesting positions. First, I would like to thank our sponsor today, StartupRaven.com, the easiest and most efficient way to connect with investors and cooperation partners. And today's interview is also in cooperation with the Digital Your Association, who actually hooked us up thanks to the guys there. Um, talking about uh, digital euro central banks and all that stuff. I have seen in your CV on LinkedIn. As always, we link it down here in the show notes. A lot of positions you usually don't see with a startup founders. Um, for example, I found Norges Bank, the central bank of Norway for all the Americans that's very up in, in Europe. Um, Bank of England, European Central Bank very fascinating, the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, which is very important in the US, Federal Reserve System, because they implement the actual interest rate policy. And of course, the Bank of Finland. So tell us, what on earth did you do there? How did it lead to your startup? And why we're we talking central bank digital currencies right now?
1: <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe I was a little bit of an intrapreneur in those central banks. Uh, so uh... So I started at the Bank of Finland, um, and the uh, the first uh, first task I was given was to um, build a simulator uh, when uh, Finland was joining the European Union, and the Finnish banks wanted to know what will happen to their liquidity and payments when they become part of the euro area and don't don't just circulate markka in Finland. And uh, I think I maybe overdid it a little bit. Probably they were thinking of a sort of a Excel spreadsheet, uh, but I, I built a software uh, to do the simulations uh, and um, oh, too and bad was... because
0: the, the the very first thing, Kiba, when you said about uh, I built a simulator, the very first thing I had in mind was a flight simulator. I was going he was building a flight simulator mm-hmm. in the central bank. No, dang it.
1: Yeah, it was in a way similar. I built a software to do uh, simulations of, of payment systems and how banks uh, operate in those uh, and what kind of mechanisms those have. And uh, yeah, I was invited to the New York Fed and the Bank of Japan to uh, do simulations about their systems after a couple of publications. Uh, so that, I think, took me on this uh, sort of a simulation path. It was always something that I was uh, interested in. Um, yeah, from there, I went to the European Central Bank. I was um, during the euro change over there. Um mostly um, overseeing payment systems again. Um, at that point of time, I also doing, doing e-money and I've always told my friends and I'm working in payments and it was very unsexy. Uh, so why, why, why do you do such a boring topic? And now with this fintechs and uh, crypto, you know, like it's become one of the most exciting uh, places to be. Uh, but uh, I was there when it was very boring uh, in other people's minds. Um, uh, from there, I went to the New York Fed's research department. And uh, there I really encountered the literature on network science and uh, network theory. And I said, hey, this is a great way to understand how money moves uh, uh, within uh, the economy, within the banking system. And uh, we uh, we did some uh, research on that. And that caught the eye of the um, national laboratories in the U.S. uh, And uh, and we started to build software again together now uh, on um, um, simulating attacks on critical infrastructures. Uh, So this was at the back of the Mm -hmm. 9-11 terrorist attacks. And um, then my plan was. I would to, assume
0: yeah? your your focus would have been more like attacks on um, central payment processors, like exactly, uh, yeah, yeah. like so in the I, US or something like this.
1: Um, yeah, after the nine eleven terrorist attacks, I think there was a lot of worries that uh, maybe the next attack will be on uh, different critical infrastructures. They could be banking systems, payment systems, road networks, bridges. Uh, um, so we were building models and uh, simulation models on how how these uh, attacks on these payment systems uh, would uh, play out, and uh, how would we be able to protect the payment systems from from attacks. Now it's of course very relevant with all these uh, cyber attacks against uh, against the infrastructures, uh, and uh, with the with war in Ukraine going on as well. Um, so um, so that sort of took the other side. of When the first it was about um, making the systems better, this was about okay, how can we uh, disrupt them or or uh, uh how can they be disrupted by others um and uh, seeing sort of resilience about the the infrastructure, so and um yeah my plan was to um to um uh, they planned to put that software into open source uh but uh, they never got around it uh so then i decided that uh, i'm just going to start building from scratch uh something similar and uh that, that that was in a way the birth of the of the fna software that we have have today
0: and now you have to solve a big riddle for me what does FNA mean? I I cannot <laughs> find it on your website. Yes,
1: it's a so funny. We, we work with a lot of other uh, like three-letter acronym organizations. So most most of our clients have also three or four-letter acronyms like uh, like uh, ECB or or or, or IMF. Um, you know, like but what FNA means is financial network analytics. So that was the root of um, of uh, what we what we went out to do is to build a platform for understanding these complex financial networks, uh, map the uh, financial networks, and then do simulations how to make those systems more efficient or, uh, or to do stress testing on them.
0: So um, first, uh, a, a little, little smile here. Because when you said, oh, a lot of our clients have been using three-letter acronyms, mm-hmm. I was wondering, did he seriously consider to name his company TLA, three-letter acronym? <laughs> 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 the, 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 uh, the set set, set generic company. <laughs> <laughs> set that aside, um, my understanding is right now you are doing simulations, meaning not the, the very small ones, but the very big ones. Uh, you generate maps of how money is flowing. And that's why we are talking today here. Um, because we will be talking a little bit about the potential impact of central bank digital currencies. Um, you're always way ahead of the curfew with us. Um, when do you believe seriously that the European Central Bank and or the Federal Reserve will have real central bank digital currencies, CBDCs? Um, I think it's it's 4 to 5 years down the road. Yeah, really yeah, applicable, probably, usable.
1: Probably sounds sounds right. Uh, maybe just go back when we people speak about uh, CBDCs there's so many so many different varieties and ideas for the CBDC is uh, so uh, for me central bank digital currency is uh, is uh, there can be two versions of it uh, there can be something that is used by uh, normal people um, like they do cash. Uh, today, uh, which is uh, something that is issued by the central bank, uh, but there can also be uh, wholesale central bank digital currencies, which is the what the, let's say the banks uh, would exchange uh, with each other. And um, I, th- I think uh, the more interesting part is the is the uh, what it was called the retail CBDC, so which is a cash like uh, uh, payment instrument that uh, is in a digital form. So instead of uh, giving someone banknotes I would be able to uh, tap my phone or transfer you uh some central bank uh, uh, tokens uh, that um, that uh, central bank issued tokens uh, that 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 are digital and um i, I think they, they will they will come um i think so when i was in the european central bank um and the bank of finland maybe 20 years ago um the uh, thinking was always that um central banks won't issue digital currency because uh, there is this risk that uh, if the system gets compromised, uh, then uh, we lose all money. <laughs> you know, like we can't trust the money, and it was too important of a topic uh, to be uh, to be lost. Um, because yeah, without money, we are we are quite uh, handicapped in uh, all economic activity. Every economic and activity needs a payment. Um, uh, but now with the uh, r- rise of the cryptos and um, and uh, sort of cryptographic techniques and other techniques, I think the technology has gotten much better. They've been out there for a while already. People have gotten more comfortable with the idea. Uh, so I think now, in a way, it's the is the the uh, the environment is ripe for central bank digital currencies. And the fact is that the cash is uh, declining as a means of instrument, uh, means of payment. <clears throat> and um, and um, I think central banks need to keep. A pace uh, with the technology and um, provide provide new means of payments into the digital, into this new digital space uh, that is, uh, we're spending more time, we're spending more money um, in on the internet and online, um, doing more non- in, non-person, non-in-person payments. So there needs to be a mm-hmm. payment instrument be, provided be by the central banks for that.
0: Before we get into that, uh, you're not only a consultant to very important central banks, you're not only a startup founder, but you have been working in the past. uh, For example, uh, during the Lehman Brothers collapse in the aftermath, um, doing some interesting work there. That's why we are talking about here. Before we get into uh, the real discussion, can you share a little bit about what you did in the aftermath of Lehman?
1: Yeah, so... um um, so this was a continuation of the uh, of the uh, in a way the work that we started to um, to do to uh, simulate the attacks on critical infrastructures and the banking system, and then uh, when the, when the financial crisis came, like we realized that well actually we don't need anyone to attack the system, <laughs> it can it, it, <laughs> it, 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 it can uh, dissolve and destroy uh, itself. Uh, but a lot of questions that that came out from that uh, were were related to the um, interconnected nature of the financial system. Everyone was asking, hey, who is uh, connected to Lehman? Uh, Who is connected to the people who who are connected to Lehman and who is connected to the banks that uh, have lent to Lehman and so forth? So everyone understood that the financial system mm -hmm. is a large network of interdependencies. uh, And then some of the uh, the work, and we we, we had been developing these uh, network maps of the financial system uh, in the U.S., uh, um, everyone started to find those much more interesting than before. Uh, before, let's say, classical economists were saying that uh, the links uh, don't matter. It's a market. We are facing the market. They were sort of more sort of like purist and classical economists. Uh, and um, and after the financial crisis, uh, there was really this realization that uh, it's a network. All these connections, exposures uh, matter and uh, how risks cascade in these networks. And we need to understand much more granular level these uh, these uh, inter- interdependencies within financial institutions and, and corporates and others. Uh, so some of the work that I had done um, research was used in congressional hearings, for example, to argue that uh, the regulators need to get uh, more uh, information about uh, what is going on in the, in the financial system. So pre-financial crisis, there was very little information that was provided uh, and uh, that information came late about the exposures and, uh, and about risks. So, um, so there was this uh, drive to the regulators need to get all this information. And that's that's been happening now over the last uh, sort of 10, 15 years. And uh, today it's called uh, SupTech or supervisory technology. So, it's a, a spin off from RegTech, which is regulatory technology, which is a spin off of FinTech, which is financial technology. And I think FinTech probably most people know, but uh, there are these subcategories. So, it's technology used by, uh, by, by central banks and supervisors uh, to make uh, Better sense of uh, what is going going on in the financial system and to identify systemic risks, um, and um, and that's sort of a, a key pillar of what the FNA uh, today does is to provide technology for for these types of network analysis and understanding and simulating financial systems.
0: Mm-hmm. I see. So, uh, we headlined this today, uh, fintech opportunities in central bank digital currencies. Let us talk a little bit about the potential impact of CBDCs. Um, first, I do believe at one point down the road, uh, you would be able to transfer almost instantaneously money from every place in the world to every other place, including from one cell phone in Japan to another cell phone in Brazil like that. That should be possible in the future. That is one of the main reasons why you have central bank digital currencies. But that will also change quite a lot because there are a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of different intermediaries you have there, for example. You have your Android phone, you have your Google Pay, then you have a MasterCard behind it, then there's the MasterCard network, then it goes into your bank account, there's the central bank, it works with another central bank, it works with a commercial bank, which then in turn sends it somehow to your cell phone. Mm -hmm. And a lot of this will be cut out. So can you tell us a little bit, can you give us a broad overview of
1: what... I'm I'm, I'm not sure that uh, that. a lot of it will be cut out uh, because all those intermediaries uh, emerged
0: uh, for a reason. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, better to say they could be cut out, yes, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. Can you give us so, a little bit of an overview? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So um, um, I think um, with this, uh, this this idea with um, this decentralized finance and cryptos that a lot of the intermediaries uh, can be cut out, but I think the reality is that things get bigger. All these intermediaries that we see today and will emerge uh, because they serve a, a key role. Um, The other point of it, if if we don't have intermediaries, for that example with um, like sending money from your phone to someone in Japan, what kind of money are you sending there? Are you sending euros? So that means that the Japanese uh, counterparty maybe can hold your euros in Japan. And I think that's one of the key drivers for this conversation around um, central bank digital currencies is that that whose money is is it going to be that we're going to be using globally? Is it going to be Mm. the euros or currently it's the dollar banknotes that uh, we talk about dollarization and uh, you can go to many countries and pay with dollars, Uh, but in the future, when we are in a digital environment, whose currency are we going to use for these digital transactions? Is it going to be dollars, the digital dollars, or is it going to be the digital euros?
0: Yeah, um, we may go back a little bit into history here because after Bretton Woods, after the second world war, de facto, the leading currency of the Western world became the US dollar. And for quite some time, even today, you cannot just exchange one currency for another, just say a euro into, um, into some um, Brazilian real, um, for most of them, you first have to trade them in US dollar and then into this currency because everything is measured against the US dollar. That's why you're referring to the US dollar there. And maybe there's even an opportunity to go into something uh, m- even more central, like, uh, nailing it to the special drawing rights. That's the currency of the international monetary fund. So there is a lot of uncertainty here. And that's why we are talking. And that was just a little detour. People who are listening to me know that I love to do teachers into the history and why the euro, why the US dollar is there so important and why you still need to have in mind the exchange rate euro US dollar. Sorry, go ahead.
1: Yeah, yeah, no. So, so, but I think that's one of the key drivers is that, that there's uh, there's um, in a way a a, a um, people are also there's quite a lot of um, uh, in the news around the Chinese uh, digital chi- Chinese uh, currency. Um, does it become a world currency? So maybe that's a threat, you know, like uh, to the dollar or the, or the West. Uh, but I think uh, you know, like a lot of the thinking around this digital currency is because in the digital world everything everything can spread so much quicker and that's why we saw this crypto spread so quickly around the world because uh, it's much faster to move uh, digital uh, tokens around than it is to move cash uh, notes around uh, so um, so even when we have central bank digital currencies uh, um, i think there's a little bit of a race between the different countries uh, to uh, to at least not be later than others uh, to uh, to launch their own digital currency because otherwise it might be that uh, if the US dollar launches a digital currency and uh, then it proves very, very popular and everyone in Europe, Europe starts to using it instead of the euros um, for, for transactions in the sort of online and in the digital world, making payments to each other. So, um, so there are no, the borders are not so clear uh, within digital currencies as they are with the national cash uh, sort of banknote based currencies.
0: I see. And I, um we we're recording this end of June 2022 and we've just seen, um, in the last days, uh, the collapse of the Terra US dollar stable coin. So it currently looks like you need a reliable, a trusted person, institution, organization group that issues stable coins. I do believe the collapse of the Terra use the, um, maybe the uh, nail in the coffin of the stable coins out there, at least the privately issued, at least the ones issued from. Yeah. Or well, they should be um, just
1: regulated like projects. any other, yeah, regulated like any other sort of financial institution that uh, is issuing, uh, securities or, uh, holding your balances of money, <clears throat> which has not been the case, uh, um, so far, but, uh, but um, I'm sure it will be in the future. They'll be getting in the normal regulatory fold.
0: Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Possible. Um. So basically, um, you've been saying central banks will have digital currencies. It's faster to move around. What in turn does this mean? Because when when you're doing something via PayPal, via um, especially within PayPal, you can have money sent around within hours where actually it takes a lot because going back, it's, it's the idea, um, that basically two banks, they have to settle the cash with each other. And instead of at the time, they still had to transfer cash instead of sending 50, 50 million US dollars there and getting back 51 million US dollars, the bank will only send a uh, 1 million US dollar. And then you just. Um, and then you just do the transfers internally. So only the ones you really, the Delta, you need to, um, you need to transfer. That is something you go back from because you can only make a cut at the end of the day. And so we get more real time, more faster. What, what, what will be other implications there? Because I do believe also to transfer between central banks, between banks and central banks, it will all be much faster.
1: Yes, I think in the uh, like uh, in this sort of modern uh, economies, we already have very well functioning payment systems um, that are very fast, um, um, and most use cases that we can think of, you can already already be done very easily, and it doesn't cost a lot of money. So I don't think the central bank digital currencies are so much of a um, of a um, um, competition for existing use cases. I think there will be new use cases, uh, maybe smarter money, um, maybe related to some government subsidies uh, um, and other types of new use cases that we can't think of yet that we can do with the the central bank digital currency. And I think it will be used for these new use cases more than maybe replacing the uh, existing ones. We'll continue to use our cards and uh, debit cards and credit cards for, for daily transactions but I think there will be more niche roles for the central bank digital currencies where they can provide additional benefits. Um, for example, um, limits on what you can spend, spend those monies in. So if, for example, these COVID checks that, uh, that uh, like a lot of countries had uh, giving money to people during COVID to, to cope with things uh, could have been said that, hey, you can use them for grocery shopping or you can use them for whatever things that the government thinks that uh, people should be spending the money because they wanna promote that area of, uh, of the economy. Uh, or other types of sort of um, smarter smarter sort of um, foreign aid, for example, is uh, more tra- tractable instead of like mm-hmm. uh, giving countries a lot of cash uh, or, uh, or or money and a lot of it ends something corruption. And uh, maybe with central bank digital currencies, we can limit the recipients of those monies uh, uh, to, uh, to those entities. We want the money to be spent to be able to track it better. Uh, so I think there's quite a number of new use cases that will be... be interesting for the central bank digital currencies and uh, we shouldn't think that it's going to compete with with the the daily day, day -day, um, day-to-day things that we already find very comfortable and uh, are very cheap.
0: I actually just felt the moment when you said you can limit Uh, on what, when and how you spend central bank digital currency, I felt the moment when some libertarians who are embracing digital currency, because it frees you from uh, the state oversight, that was the moment they were very close to a stroke when they realized, oh, you can abuse crypto in that way. Um yeah. m- making the euro only spendable on necessary and necessary stuff. For example, even social payments. Limit them on what you can do with them. Maybe forbid online gambling. Yeah. yeah. And I already found a pretty pretty good use case for this, um, for a startup that actually can help you circumvent those limitations. <laughs>
1: Sorry, come yeah. on. I think you can always circumvent things, uh, but uh, in most cases, you know, like you, you, uh, eighty ninety percent of the people would uh, of, of the usage would be cut by uh, These types of, uh, so I think there surely there are ways uh, always to circumvent, but uh, I think uh, uh, it still can provide you know, like benefits for those use cases. Uh. Uh, if you think they have benefits, <laughs> depending on your stance on what the government should be doing.
0: Mm-hmm. Um. Wh- one more question, because you may have seen this here in the background, there is uh, the German Schwundgeld. It's actually a little experiment that was done after the Second World War. And basically they had money, uh, like physical money, uh, like notes, and they had a stamp on it used before.
1: And okay, is yeah, this also
0: yeah. something? You could do with central bank currency because uh, there there are several things you can do to jumpstart an economy. One of them is just giving it more money and the other one is to increase the circulation of it and say, guys, you need to spend this within a year. Otherwise, yeah, yes,
1: yeah, so of course we don't. We have a couple of central bank digital currencies out there, like in the smaller sort of like um, economies, uh, but we don't have one yet here. So we can only imagine what sort of like it could have. But I think it's also already providing a lot of thinking for innovation, like what kind of use, uses it or, or limits or what kind of features it could have, and that's one of the uh, the of course like uh, is this use by data. So what we've done is um, we've built a, a simulator for the central bank digital currencies where you can test all sorts of uh, different features and configurations and uh, limits uh, on usage. Can I use it for person to person payments once a business receives it? can it pay other businesses can it pay its uh, its employees every day give them a little bit central bank digital currency uh, instead of uh, a monthly payment per uh, you know per uh, bank transfer. Uh, what kind of uses will this uh, central bank digital currency have? Are there going to be caps? I can only hold three thousand because maybe the feature of the central bank digital currency is that uh, it's actually on my wallet. So if I lose my wallet, I lose the money. Or or how does it work? Uh, do I need to actually bring those tokens into storage at the bank? <laughs> uh, um, so I think there are so many so many moving parameters around the design and features of the central bank digital currency, and it's a uh, it's very hard to uh, understand how all these different parameters interact with each other. So that's why we built this um, like a simulator to um, where you can uh, look and uh, simulate and um, change assumptions and uh, see how, how things uh, uh, fold uh, with the different configurations of uh, central bank digital currency in competition with, uh, with the existing payment instruments and uh, are offering that to um, central banks and banks who want to understand how the new world might look like. Uh,
0: And how could uh, our audience, our um, fintechs, uh, entrepreneurs, investors out there who are listening to this right now, how could they get access to it?
1: So get in touch with um, myself, for example. I think maybe there's uh, my email somewhere, Kimmo at FNA.fi.
0: Down here in the show notes, there will be your LinkedIn profile linked as always, and people can directly reach out to you. Yeah, yeah. Great. So w- we already know a lot that is possible with CBDCs. And guys, now you can f- think about all the opportunities. Yes, of course, the most obvious way is to circumvent <laughs> the, 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 the limitations you can put into your central bank digital currency. But I totally do believe you can do more with that. Um, Kimo, it was just a pleasure having you here. Thank you very much. And I'm totally sure we'll have you back pretty soon, like in a year or a year and a half and to talk about more recent developments.
1: Yeah, hopefully we have, we have more experience already from existing CBDCs by then.
0: That will be totally fine. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure.
1: Thank you. Excellent. Great to be here.
0: That's all, folks. Find more news, streams, and interviews at www.startuprad.io Remember, sharing is caring.